Managing your 401k is hard. Bloom isn't. See what you could be doing to make your 401k better by getting a free analysis at bloom401k.com slash fool. That's bloom with three O's, 401k.com slash fool. Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. It's Friday, May 4th, and we're talking Snap and Apple earnings. I'm your host, Dylan Lewis, and I'm joined on Skype by senior tech specialist, Evan New. Evan, it's May 4th, and I, and I guess as a tech show, we have an obligatory nod to May the 4th, the uh, the Star Wars movement. <laughs> it's Star Wars Day. It is Star Wars Day. I'm not a huge Star Wars fan. Are you? I'm kind of. I mean, my wife is big into it just because her name is Leia, and she was named in part because of Princess Leia from Star Wars. Um, uh-huh. So she has a special... You know, bond with Star Wars. <laughs> yeah, we have a lot of other writers on Fool.com that are that are far more into it, namely Dan Klein. Uh, so <laughs> maybe maybe next year I'll have him on the show, and we can do some kind of Star Wars Disney stuff. But today we are going to be talking uh, instead about one company that you and I both love, and one company that we love to follow. Uh, that is Apple and Snap. Why don't we start out talking about Snap? Uh, the company released earnings earlier this week. Revenue was 231 million. Wall Street was expecting 245 million. Um, some disappointment there. That's 54% year-over-year growth on the top line, and of course, on the bottom line, the company lost money. Not surprising, given that they're in growth mode. The narrative with this company, though, has really been user-focused. I think specifically over the last quarter, you know, a lot of concerns about what this redesign with their app might do to user retention and to engagement. Looking at the numbers. It seems to have had an impact, Evan. Right, like Snap went public so early in its lifetime, relative for companies that go public. So I think that's why investors are so focused on this user aspect. I mean, much more than most social media companies in general, uh, just because it's you know their ad business is so young that it really does revolve very heavily around you know how the user base is responding to these types of changes. And there's been a lot of controversy over this redesign. And you know, celebrities have been bashing it. You've had social media hoaxes go viral saying it's going to come back. You've had pe- online petitions, like all sorts of backlash. And you know, CEO Evan Spiegel has kind of defended it. But now what we're seeing is that it's really having a very noticeable and quantitative, uh, quantifiable impact on these metrics. So daily active users came in at, at 191 million, uh, which is up just two percent sequentially from the fourth quarter, which is their lowest. You know, sequential growth rate they've ever posted. So, I mean, that number speaks for itself. Yeah, and I think importantly, management noticed that the average in March, this is a daily active figure, was lower than the overall Q1 average. So, there's probably some drop-off happening there that's tied to either the redesign or some performance problems that they were running into on their Android app. If you're trying to work through exactly where the number stands and how big that drop-off was, management noted that the March average was above the 187 million daily active users that they posted as of Q4. Uh, so, you know, they're hoping to right the ship with fixes to Android and to the tweaks and kind of uh, maybe walkbacks on some of the changes that they've made in the app. But that is not a trend that you want to see, particularly for. Uh, a company that was essentially pre-monetization, you know, uh, about a year and a half ago. Right, exactly. And, you know, I think that, yeah, so they're testing out these different versions of it. They're really still committed to this idea of, you know, separating your social content from your friends versus professional content from media publishers, which, you know, makes sense in some ways, but, you know, it is starting to weigh on the financials. And I don't think they're going to go back the way it was before because, you know, they're very committed to it. They just want to kind of tweak it and find the right balance. But, you know, 
how is the user base going to respond to all these kind of constant changes, whereas Snap clearly doesn't really quite have a, a very clear vision on what it wants. Um, so they're, they're still testing it out, but I don't know. Another thing that really spooked the market was a forward-looking comment from CFO Anthony Valero. And and I think that this is a Andrew. Pre- a- oh, Andrew, a- Andrew. Sorry, thank you. Thank you for that correction. Uh, Snap is is not a company that is known for giving guidance. And so when we do get anything that is kind of forward looking from management, I think people tend to kind of their ears perk up. And on the call, the CFO said, "As we think about year over year revenue growth rates, we are planning for our Q2 growth rate to decelerate substantially from our Q1 levels." And I think to help paint a picture of what growth has looked like for Snap over the past few quarters. We just said before, 54% year-over-year growth in Q1 of 2018, Q4, 72%, Q3 of 2017, 63%. So, uh, for them to be saying that we're going to have a meaningful deceleration as, as a cue to analysts, they must be expecting a pretty decent drop somewhere in like the you know low 40s or perhaps even lower. Right. And I think the broader context of these kind of uh, relatively strong historical growth rates is that, remember, as we mentioned, you know, this ad business is so young that they're coming off a really small base. So these, these growth numbers look really good, but you would also, yeah, you would expect them to keep maintaining these high levels of growth, which are, you know, by the way, being priced into the stock, <laughs> at least they were before the, <laughs> the earnings release. But, you know, you have these high growth rates when you're coming, when as you're growing off these really small bases. So some deceleration is expected, but w- when they're expecting a big drop off, even when when they should still be in the process of ramping, like that is a pretty big concern for investors. And they point out that this deceleration comes as there's a lot of growth in ad impressions, which are being offset by pricing for Snap ads. And I think to a certain extent, this dynamic is bound to happen. You know, with the switch over from these direct sold ads to programmatic, where you have kind of software being used to buy ads uh, rather than having contact and salespeople, there are a lot more fluctuations with ad prices. The the flip of that is it opens the door to a lot of new advertisers to come in. And so this is a move that you know we've talked about in the past that Snap really had to make, especially in order to bring smaller advertisers into the fold. But this is the problem with making that switch: is that you can have some pretty big hits to your financials if you're wholly reliant on ads. Right, and and I think um, Chief Strategy Officer Imran Khan had an interesting comment too about you know as as this redesign relates to uh, ad buyers, you know specifically, there's been so much negative press about this this redesign that he said that that's probably causing some. Um, you know, delays or you know p- pauses in purchase decisions, which is probably true, but it's also kind of like you're blaming it on the media. But you know, the point is that this you know this redesign is not really getting well received from the user base, and yeah, that's going to manifest in in the ad business too. Something that has gotten a ton of media coverage and was curiously absent from the conference call was uh, Snap Spectacles. You know, the the new version of their hardware product. I've read so many articles talking about this new product launch and yet uh, no analyst questions about Spectacles and nothing from management kind of touting uh, that they're really excited about this new product line. Yeah, for a camera company, right? Quote unquote camera company. <laughs> Um, making their you know their second generation hardware. I mean, I think analysts realize that their hardware has always been this tiny part of the business, so they're more focused on like you know the ad business and things there. But I was surprised that maybe even in like prepared remarks from the management that they, did, they didn't mention it, uh, which is yeah, it is a little weird because you know they're kind of trying to pin their future on their ability to pivot into uh, camera hardware, and I think that's pretty misguided because they don't even have their core ad business down. And besides that, I mean the second generation spectacles they don't really look they're not really 
anything game changing. There's kind of minor improvements from the first one, and the first one was such an utter disaster and a flop. And you know they ate this forty million dollar inventory charge last year. It clearly did so poorly that you would think that Snap would realize that they need kind of a, a bigger overhaul of the product to make it more successful. But instead, what they did is they increased the price of it to 150 bucks, and basically just made some minor incremental small improvements. You know, a little bit thinner, a little bit lighter, small you know performance improvements, but nothing enough that really addresses kind of why the first one failed in the first place. But yeah, I, I get that they have bigger fish to fry, but as an analyst, you know, kind of understanding that 10, 15 minutes into the call, a lot of the core questions have already been asked. I'm shocked that no one said, you know, hey, can you talk a little bit about the inventory management that you guys are doing for the Spectacles line now that you're relaunching it? Because, you know, you did eat $40 million in charges last time <laughs> around. And we just like to get a sense of, you know, how you're handling it this time around. Yeah, like, did, did you learn anything? I mean, that's a pretty. You know, very reasonable question to ask, even beyond just kind of detailed stuff. Just, hey, what did you learn from it? And what are you going to do next time? You know, the very strategic question. But yeah, they, I was kind of surprised too. They didn't really talk about it. Yeah. Uh, looking kind of broad at uh, this business and what we learned from this conference call and this earnings release, I think so much of what Snap's management is saying sounds right kind of at first glance. You know, like the, the move to programmatic was absolutely the right decision for the business. And management to kind of compensate for uh, this deceleration in revenue has talked about this narrative of, you know, we're not playing the pricing game to maximize short-term revenues. And that sounds like long-term thinking that we normally love. I don't know that it holds a lot of water. I, I think in some ways it's kind of more window dressing than, than maybe how they really feel about their business, though. You know, like I, I went back and looked at Facebook's early calls, I think just as kind of a reminder of what happens when these companies go public, you know, what is the scrutiny that they go under. And what are people focusing on? And the two things I was curious with Evan was ad dynamics and growth rates. And generally speaking, with Facebook, you know, I know the monetization uh, timeline was a little bit different for these two businesses. Ad prices were kind of up and to the right even early on for Facebook. And there were times where they intentionally did things to lower ad prices. You know, they they lowered the price floor in some developing markets to make ad buys a little bit more accessible to advertisers. But even when they did that, the company posted overall price growth because demand was so strong in North America. And so I think that's something to kind of keep in mind when uh, you know they're saying that this is this is a reflection of programmatic. Yes, it is. But if we don't find a floor for this fairly quickly, um, I think it's kind of a broader reflection of how interested people are in reaching people on Snap and and the ROI that they get on advertising on that platform. Right. And another example to your point about, you know, them saying stuff that sounds like it should be right, but in, in reality isn't really what's going on. I want to point out um, something in their earnings slides. They have this line, I and mean, we've talked about the cost structure quite a bit on the show, but they have this line saying, quote, modest capital expenditures result in stronger free cash flow conversion over time. And that is technically a true statement. <laughs> but in the context of Snap, it just it, it comes off as like a parody or a satire because it's just a joke because I mean, their capital expenditures are so low because they outsource all infrastructure and cloud hosting to third-party providers, which is, as we've mentioned, is a really short-term um, strategy. But it, it was really hilarious, and that line's always in their slides. But this quarter, in particular, it was pretty hilarious because their their freeze cash flow dipped to the worst level it's ever been. And when you see that line below this chart that shows free cash flow just falling off a cliff, it's just kind of like, what are you even talking about? I mean, so free free cash flow. It's deteriorating, and it was 
you know, negative 268 million this quarter. And, and, that, and that's largely because operating cash flow is just getting worse too. Operating cash flow was negative 230 million or so compared to negative about 150 a year ago. So, you know, these numbers are getting worse and worse. And then they have this line that, again, it sounds right. <laughs> but when you look at the numbers, it just doesn't apply to them. Yeah, and and I know that this is a business that we have been, um, you know, pretty bearish on throughout the time that we've covered it. Uh, I think to to paint a somewhat rosy picture or give the alternate side of things, you know, kind of going back to this Facebook example I had before, there are plenty of times early on where Facebook had year over year revenue growth decelerate quarter to quarter, and then the company found growth and reaccelerated, and that happened because they had user growth, uh, they had growth in their ad inventory, and ad prices continued to climb. Which is to say that it is not doom and gloom for Snap necessarily, but um, if you're only looking at what's going on with revenue rates. But when the other metrics aren't also trending in the right direction, I think it doesn't look very good. You know, the the idea that user growth uh, on a sequential basis is as low as it's ever been that's problematic. I, I think that you know the possibility that within the quarter they had their lowest user counts in the most recent month is not a particularly great sign either uh, and you talk about kind of the the social and pop culture elements that they have to overcome with getting advertisers on the platform there just seem to be a lot of obstacles in front of this business right now yeah i'm uh, i kind of regret closing up my puts a couple months ago <laughs> <laughs> thank you for that note of transparency um, <laughs> yeah we neither of us have any uh, active positions in snap now but there was the case where you had something going on there for a little while i made a little bit of money <laughs> <laughs> uh we're going to talk about something uh that you and i both own we're going to talk about apple and their earnings report on the second half of the show before we get over there though thanks to bloom for supporting industry focus it's time to get your retirement on track and fix your 401k with bloom that's bloom with three o's Sounds tough. It's not. In fact, it only takes five minutes. Go online to bloom401k.com fool and simply connect your existing 401k with a few easy steps. Then sit back and relax while Bloom performs an unbiased analysis of the funds in your account and chooses the best mix to meet your goals while minimizing hidden investment fees. Bloom is one of the fastest growing robo-advisors fighting for your right to retire. It only takes five minutes and then your retirement is set. And Bloom's pricing is $10 a month, regardless of your account size. Bloom is so simple. In fact, the hardest part about this is remembering there are three O's in Bloom. Go to bloom401k.com fool and enter promo code fool for your first month free and see the difference Bloom can make in your retirement. All right, Evan, on to one of our favorites. Uh, I think we've skipped a couple quarters here and there with Apple, but this is a business that we generally love to cover. A couple different reasons. I mean, it's, it's a fun company to talk about. It is one of the world's largest. And whether people realize it or not, uh, almost everyone has a stake in Apple because it is such a large component of the major indices out there. Why don't we walk through what they reported on Tuesday and some of the headline numbers? Sure. So revenue was up 16% to about $61 billion. Uh, net, net income up 25% to about $13.8 billion. Earnings per share up 30% to $2.73. And you can see a disconnect there um, between net income and earnings per share because Apple is so aggressive on the buybacks and a lot more of those earnings are accreting to you know individual shareholders on a per share basis, which we'll talk more about the buyback program later. Uh, iPhone units were up about 3% to 52-ish million. iPhone revenue is up 14% uh, to about $38 billion. And a lot of that is due to iPhone 10 and its you know $1,000 price tag. And Tim Cook did note on the call that this is the first product cycle since 2014 when they kind of introduced the two different sizes, you know, 6 and 6 Plus back in 2014. This is the first product cycle since then where the most expensive iPhone 
has also been the most popular. So we're seeing a lot of you know uplift in terms of average selling prices, and you know that business just continues to perform very well. And you know we're seeing Apple actually reaccelerate on the top line a little bit, which is you know not an easy thing to do when you're talking about a company of this size. Yeah, the you tease this a little bit. The number that stood out to me with this was 100 billion. And I mean, it looks to me like Apple is going to be buying back some more shares over the next couple of years. That EPS number is probably going to continue to climb. <laughs> right. So, the, you know, of, of course, the big, you know, big thing to thank here is tax reform <laughs> that was passed last year. And, you know, as you know, many, many people have expected that a lot of companies would use these tax savings, not necessarily for like, you know, stimulate the economy. Of course, some of that will be there, too. But a lot of companies are really allocating a lot of these tax savings towards share repurchases. Um, which you know, from as investors, we 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 like a lot. So they they repurchased uh, over twenty three billion dollars uh, in stock last quarter, all in open market purchases, which is a big sequential spike, and you know, all thanks to this tax reform. And they they expect to complete their current two hundred and ten billion authorization during the June quarter. Uh, they've they spent about two hundred or so over the past five or six years, which is kind of a mind blowing figure in itself. And after that, they'll have about $10 billion left. So in, in the June quarter, they're going to finish that off and then start on this brand new program that they announced that you mentioned, uh, the $100 billion, which you know, is another humongous number. Uh, they're, they're not pinning that on any specific time frame. Uh, they're just you know, saying they're going to be fast and efficient with it, but didn't really you know, specify exactly when they uh, expect to do that all by. And it's really kind of hard to argue with the success of the buyback program for them because if you look at Apple's stock chart, I mean, this is a company that has generally been up and to the right, with few exceptions, you know, over the past five years or so. Uh, so it is not as if management has been buying back shares and then uh, seeing the price fall dramatically, and you know, been bad capital allocators. Um, they've very opportunistically bought back shares and, and done quite a service to shareholders by doing it. Right, and Apple's. I mean, by all traditional valuation metrics, Apple's super cheap. I mean, it's hard to compare against other companies because they're so large in in terms of their size. They don't have a lot of peers uh, that are bringing as much money and as profitable as they do. But they have been very focused on buybacks, and even on the call, um, CFO Luca Maestri's you know, admitted that yes, you know, Apple is very quote biased <laughs> towards the buybacks because it's so cheap, and they because they still think it's undervalued. So even though they're also increasing the dividend by you know sixteen percent or so. Uh, which is a nice little boost for for income investors. They're still really heavily focusing on, on the buyback piece, which is good better you know to drive up earnings per share over time as you can retire a lot more shares. Uh, and they're not you know they're not just buying these back these offset dilution from you know, you know ongoing compensation. They you know they've retired so many shares over the past years that investors are really getting a tangible benefit from that. Looking at some of the smaller parts of the business, Evan, what's going on with wearables right now? So wearables, which uh, Apple defines as the way Apple defines, it, includes Apple Watch, wireless Beats, and AirPods, which is kind of, you know, my opinion, a dubious definition because wireless headphones. I don't know if that's what most people think about when they think about wearables, but uh, for what it's worth, that's how Apple defines it, and they're saying it's up almost fifty percent. Uh, they still don't disclose the dollar figure for it, but the, you know, these products are pretty much driving almost all growth in the other products category. Uh, they said over 90% of growth was co- was because of these wearables, uh, which they also mentioned is now the size of a Fortune 300 company, which is Apple's way of saying that it's um, <clears throat> it's close to a $10 billion business for them, which is pretty impressive, you know, considering the fact that they only got into wearables, you know, in 2014 starting with Apple Watch. 
That is one of my favorite things to see in Apple's conference calls is the different ways that they refer to the scale and size of these tiny business operations for their purposes. You know, uh, the idea that wearables is uh, the size of most companies or larger than most companies. Uh, they do the same thing very often for their services segment, and it looks like growth was really strong there too. This is one I'm particularly happy about uh, as a shareholder because it's a high margin business for them. Right, so revenue and services was really strong uh, last quarter, uh, up 31% to about 9.2 billion. On a trailing 12 month basis, services is now a $33 billion business for Apple, which is huge for, and it's much more profitable than you know, the corporate average typically. Uh, and that's being driven by, you know, now they have 270 million paid subscriptions going through all of their kind of digital storefronts. Uh, and that's, that, that means they've added over 100 million in the past year alone. And I mean, just shows you how how well they're executing on growing this business after they set out this goal, you know, a year or two ago to that we we're really going to try to double this business. And these numbers really show that they're making a lot of progress. Uh, they're on target to to hit that. And this becomes increasingly important for the company uh, as we get closer and closer to you know like a smartphone saturation and perhaps this this concern about slowing upgrade cycles for these major phones as average selling prices get larger. You know the fact that they can uh, build out this nice kind of high uh, high margin services segment is uh, a nice way for them to continue to make money off of that base. Right, and you know within services, you know those subscriptions. You have Apple Music, which is now at about $40 million. Uh, You also have iCloud Storage, which is technically built as a, as a subscription. Uh, those are Apple's two main first-party subscriptions. So if, if, if we say iCloud Storage is probably $30 million or less, then that means third-party paid subscriptions are probably over $200 million. And remember, Apple does very little for those third-party subscriptions. It gets like a you know, 30 to 15% cut, depending on how long that subscription has been in place. They're getting a pretty nice cut on that, even though they're not doing a whole lot. Uh, so that's that's pretty profitable, you know, revenue getting their cut on those subscription, and on top of that, there are reports that Apple is planning this premium news service since they bought uh, Texture earlier this year, which is a, a digital magazine service, and I think that could really build on this momentum that they're seeing because Apple News is already a very strong service and has a lot of users, and if they can, you know, introduce this new premium service for news. Not only do they benefit, but also all of their publishing partners will benefit too. So, I think that that's that sounds pretty promising to me. One thing I was a little surprised to see in this earnings release was a pretty big spike in inventory. You know, we know Tim Cook as this guy who is a supply chain master. Uh, it, that that was kind of his mo and his reputation coming into the CEO role. Uh, and it's something that Apple has very tightly managed for a really long time. We see that it spikes to over seven billion, the highest ever. Uh, what is going on with their inventory right now? Right. So Tim Cook has this famous line that he considers inventory to be quote fundamentally evil, and just because you know over time if you build too much of it, it gets written down and you just, it's just a mess to deal with. So it's very good to have you want lean inventory enough to meet demand, but not too much on on your books, which is why this spike was so weird. But it's really just actually component purchases. Um, an analyst was able to get some clarity on that because I noticed it too initially when I saw the the balance sheet, and <clears throat> basically the you know, uh, CFO Maestri said we're basically making these purchasing decisions because of current marketing conditions. So they're basically just pre-buying all of these different components because the, the components, most specifically memory, the pricing is supposed to be continue going up. I mean, it's been going on for two years and it's probably going to keep going up. So they're basically just trying to buy as much as they can now to get ahead of continued price increases later this year. And as we all know, they release a ton of iPhones in the fall and they're going to need all those components to put them in the phones. 
So very specifically, the type of inventory that we're talking about is really just components. Uh, it's not like unsold products on shelves, which would be a, a pretty big concern there if that were the case. So uh, it did jump out of me too, but that that's what's going on there. So this is more of a planned decision than them sitting on stuff in a warehouse. Right, exactly. And you know, he's, he was like, it'll unwind itself over time. So uh, really nothing to be concerned about, even though the numbers look a little scary. <laughs> well, one other little tidbit from the call um, and from the release that I think is interesting, to go back to the conversation we were having about Facebook when we talked about their earnings, uh, we both kind of expressed some surprise at seeing uh, a company have Forex that was accretive. Usually, uh, when you have money that you're bringing back from overseas, from you know foreign operations, and you're bringing it to the United States, because the dollar's been so strong for such a long period of time, that winds up being a ding on your your top and bottom line. Uh, that was the case. What we what we saw here with Apple, where they they wound up taking a slight hit for that. Right. So there was kind of the opposite scenario here because you know Facebook doesn't really have a much of a hedging program in place to accommodate for these FX movements, and which is why they got this benefit as the dollar continued to weaken. Whereas Apple, you know, is much larger and obviously has a lot more money on the line, and and in generally just their their company their business is much more you know spread across the world in terms of their you know their supply chain. So the, you know they have a much bigger and more active hedging program that kind of mitigates these these foreign exchange movements both up and down. So. I mean, they've tried to do their best to, to mitigate these hits that they've taken while the dollar was strengthening, and now the dollar is weakening. They're kind of missing out on the upside because this, these hedges are in place. Um, so it, it was kind of a, a funny thing, but it's because Apple does such a good job in general. Uh, because I mean, if you're a company, you just don't want the risk at all. You just want to hedge it. You don't want to deal with. You're not a currency trader. Right? You don't want to ride the swings up and down. So they just try to hedge it to to kind of mitigate all risk up and down. So yeah, they didn't get to enjoy something like other companies. Uh, coming into this quarter, uh, I think there were a lot of concerns surrounding Apple. You know, there there were a lot of people kind of reading the tea leaves on what they were getting from various points in the supply chain and saying, oh, you know, we're not seeing the demand that we thought we'd be seeing for these really high price iPhones. It seems like those concerns were overstated, uh, to say the least. Um, looking at Apple you know, over the next year, two years, three years, uh, what are you seeing in this business? You know, we're, we're both shareholders. Uh, I, I kind of feel like I'm sitting on my shares that they will not be this massive growth company like they have been perhaps over the last five years, but that there you know, is nothing wrong with, with owning them, especially if you're looking for some pretty low-risk exposure to the tech space. Right, and that, that's exactly how I view it too. Like, I don't have huge expectations in terms of capital appreciation. The income's nice. I'm not really an income investor, but I'll take it. I'll reinvest the dividends. Uh, no, com- you know, nothing to complain about. Um, but I also view them as pr- as a pretty safe play because, you know, as we mentioned before, the valuation numbers are so low and they make so much money that they're not going to be super volatile. Um, and I mean, I've been overweight Apple for many years just because I've, I've held had it for so long. Uh, but I'm just going to hang on to it. I'm not going to have huge expectations about it jumping through the roof. Uh, but I mean, right now it's kind of like this race to a trillion dollar market cap because all these tech companies are are having you know pretty strong results. And big question is, can Apple get there first? <laughs> Which is only like you know 10 or 11 percent up from here, so it's not like a huge gain. But it will be a milestone if and when it comes. Uh, and listeners, if you want any more Apple coverage, uh, Evan is one of our best. Uh, he's written the classic earnings take, but he also has some more deep dive stuff from the call and some things that maybe aren't covered quite as much. So if you want any of that news, uh, just write in and we'll make sure that you get it. Evan, anything in particular you want to plug on that Apple coverage? No, I think we're good. <laughs> All right. That does it for this episode of Industry Focus. 
If you have any questions or if you just want to reach out and say, hey, you can shoot us an email at industryfocus at fool.com or you can tweet us at mfindustryfocus. If you want more of our stuff, subscribe on iTunes or check out the Fool's family of shows over at fool.com slash podcasts. As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against stocks mentioned. So don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thanks to Austin Morgan for all his work behind the glass. For Evan New, I'm Dylan Lewis. Thanks for listening and Fool on. Fool on.